As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30, the 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burr. Good gosh, dirty! This is the Heel Tough Blog Hey guys, and welcome in to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnotta with you guys as always, the host of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast, and today joined by my normal regular season co-host Josh Marlowe back yet again in the offseason. I'm telling you, we may have to sign this dude to an extension. He may be looking for NIL uh licensing over the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, That is the storyline that is probably going to continue to grow, and when that does, we will continue to talk about a college football expansion we've talked about on this podcast, but this podcast is going to be focused on, first of all, we're going to update you on some recruiting stuff. Uh, I'll do most of that. Josh can sprinkle in if he wants to, and then we will circle around to our top five underrated Tar Heels of the last 14 years. You may be asking why the last 14 years. Well, we are going to go from the start of the Butch Davis era, which was basically when we got heavy into following Carolina football. We'll pick from that era, pick our five guys uh, that are underrated, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to have 10 guesses to guess each guy's list because, as you guys know, we host this podcast together. We host the Four Corners podcast together, and we have hosted countless other videos, which you can find, believe it or not, online, uh, where we did preview, what was that, the 2015 team? Way back in the day. We've also been best friends since sixth grade. Oh, exactly. There aren't many things we don't know about each other. So we think that we're going to have a pretty good read on each other's list here. So we're going to turn that into a fun little game. That'll be pretty cool coming up. And then I think I've got, I think I've got one that'll that'll definitely stump you. I would say that I've got. 
I've probably got, I don't know, man, maybe two, maybe two. I, I, I don't, this, this was, I'm not going to lie. This was tougher than, than I originally thought. I went through, I put a, a, a group of guys down on a list and there, there were some guys that I had a really tough time leaving off here. Cause there were some guys that I really, really liked, uh, that I thought, could have had really good arguments, but alas, we'll talk about that here in a second. <laughs> for, for me, before we move on, okay, yeah, it was how can I formulate this list that I do not and let my stellar play on the video game affect my decisions? Because there were countless Tar Heels that weren't really good in real life <laughs> that on the video game. I made like legends. Uh, Darian Rankin was one yes. that stuck out. Although I, I, I will say this, I did look at Darian, and he had a pretty successful two-year run after that 2014 season. Though he just—I don't know what ha- he when they moved his positions, no he just and then he just disappeared. But. I think that was one where they moved they moved him, and he just really—I I think that was a move he didn't really like, and he ended up leaving. I have no idea where he ended up. Uh, I know he's on Facebook, and I may he may be one of the guys that I reach out and try to get on the podcast one time because he was one of our favorites. Uh, we I one time recorded 27 sacks with him on NCAA 14 as a strong safety. That's not bad. That's in, not bad in Vic Coning scheme at that. Like that guy that was, is even more impressive. That guy was able to break the one boundaries of, the guys, of bad coaching on the video game. One as well. of the guys that will not be included on that list. When we do underrated coordinators, is Vic Conan <laughs> will not be included. But uh, anyways, and then after we do all of that, we will wrap it up. Talk a little bit about uh, two guys that are on the Hall of Fame ballot. We got to have a conversation. How in the hell is this the third year that Julius Peppers is going to be on the ballot, and the first two years he has not been put into the College Football Hall of Fame? We got to talk about that. But first, as we mentioned, we're going to get into the recruiting storylines. Uh, and look, this is a big, big month for Carolina football on the recruiting trail. Carolina basketball as well. Uh, but Carolina football is really starting to show some muscle. You thought that last recruiting class, landing Tony Grimes, uh, a couple other big-name guys out of the state of North Carolina like Javari Ritzy, Ra-Ra Dilworth, that would have made a statement. Well, Carolina is looking to make an even bigger statement this year as they continue to show that they are not only uh, landing some of those top talents in the state of North Carolina, in the state of Virginia, but they're also sort of expanding their recruiting footprint a little bit and going outside of it to try to land some elite prospects as well. There are some guys that were on campus and uh, we'll start, of course, with the guy that was on campus first, Zach Rice. He unofficially visited on June 1st and 2nd, uh, stayed two days. That is significant. Uh, it seems like from everything that uh, you know, some of those publications were saying, it seems like things went pretty well. But he did also take an official visit to Ohio State. That's one that seemed to go really well. Now, you know, coming into his visit to Ohio State, it seemed like they had kind of cooled off on him. Not really sure if it was on his end or their end, but it didn't seem like he was as closely attached to them as he was a couple of months ago when, of course, him and Gunnar Givens uh, back in, uh, it was about mid-December, were toying with the idea of teaming up and committing there as a pair. Uh, Again, no one really knows how serious that thought was, uh, but 
you know, Rice went on campus, seemed to really enjoy it. Uh, the thing about Zach Rice is, is I think he's a guy that just really enjoys the recruiting process from everything that we've seen. Uh, he's a guy that more than likely is going to do, you know, his due diligence on the recruiting trail. He is going to go to all of these the, these official visits. Uh, I think all of them he's probably going to pretty thoroughly enjoy because, look, I mean, you know, first of all, you got to think. I mean, he's been to Carolina quite a few times. He was there during the pandemic year last year. Ohio State was probably his first time outside of Virginia or North Carolina in a long, long time. So I, I thought I think he definitely enjoyed that visit uh, to be able to get out, see a different campus for the first time. So we'll see. I, I wouldn't say that that's a nail in the coffin to Carolina uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Now, his high school quarterback, uh, he did commit to Virginia over the weekend. He got an offer from them in the middle of the week, committed to them over the weekend. So that's another element that all of a sudden is factoring in in his recruitment. And, of course, Zach Rice is a guy that Carolina uh, is, you know, they, they've got big focus on because, one, he's inside of the top 10 overall players in the class of 2022. He's the number one offensive tackle in the country. He's from the state of Virginia, as we mentioned. And he's a guy that is uh, one of their biggest targets at a position to need. They need offensive tackles in this class. If anything, you are pretty much certain that you're not going to get Jordan Tucker back. There are a lot of people that believe Marcus McKeithen will not be back. He will probably go pro. Uh, and there, there is some thought that a couple of the other guys could be gone at the end of the season as well. There are veterans along this offensive line that are going to allow Carolina to have a lot of success this year. But you need to build the talent behind him, and you may need some of those guys that can come in and make pretty immediate impacts to help you uh, going forward over the next year or two. So Zach Rice would be huge there. One uh, offer that was extended this weekend that kind of connects to this situation is Justin Kanyuk uh, out of Bethlehem Catholic High School in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He was offered during a visit on Saturday. He is an unranked prospect from Bethlehem Catholic in uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, as I said. Uh, he's a guy that uh, right now it really just seems like the reason that he doesn't have offers is because Again, we we you know we just talked about it on the basketball podcast that we recorded. These scouts haven't been able to go out and see rivals. They do not update their rankings usually until they've seen these guys at a rivals camp. That's probably what he's going to have to do to get his ranking updated on rivals twenty four seven. You know they periodically will update them as well. He's a guy that considering the fact that Carolina just offered, considering the fact that uh, Maryland actually offered the day of recording this podcast, he is going to have a chance to probably end up moving up some of those ranking boards. He'll probably end up being a three-star guy. But I think the key to take away from this is that Carolina is offering yet another offensive tackle prospect. It's the position where they've got the most offers in this class right now. Carolina is really focused on locking down some offensive tackle help. You know, I, I think a guy that's going to visit uh, either next weekend or the weekend after that, I don't, I'm, do not remember the uh, date of his visit officially, um, but uh, you will have Fisher Anderson. That's a guy that Carolina is really focused on. Uh, and there are a couple other guys as well that Carolina is probably going to try to make a push here with before the end, along with, of course, Zach Rice. So uh, I, I do think that Carolina is showing that they 
They are seeing that as a position that they are highly valuing in this class. They see it as a position of need. And I think it's really showing you that they're not sure exactly where they stand with Rice just yet. So they're going to do their due diligence and make sure that they can at least get someone to help them out there. Uh, they are going to, of course, host uh, both Case and Henry later on uh, during uh, this this month of June, and same thing with Austin Kowicki, who comes out of the state of Texas. So uh, we'll see if any of those guys are able to stick, but ultimately the goal for them is to get Zach Rice. Some of the other guys that were on campus, a little more news than uh, we got from Zach Rice. Jake Pope, uh, the four-star safety out of Buford High School in Buford, Georgia. He visited over the weekend, told Don Callahan of Inside Carolina, uh, and it was the headline on Don's article about uh, his visit, that the Tar Heels will be hard to top. That's a, a great quote to hear from him. And then to back up the justification, you know, the thoughts that, hey, this this could have been a really great visit for Carolina. Steve Wiltfong, who is the director of recruiting for 24-7 sports, he logged a crystal ball today for Carolina with a confidence level of six. So that that's a new thing that they've been doing uh, for about the last year plus now. Uh, and, and it's usually pretty accurate. Carolina, especially Wiltfong, he's been pretty much accurate from uh, you know the word go uh, when it's come to uh, his his crystal ball predictions for years and uh, it looks like this could be another one that he could be on for Carolina uh, this is one that I think you know Carolina getting the first swing out of the gate really worked out here we'll see if they're able to hold on he's still got some pretty big visits to Notre Dame Alabama on the schedule I believe Georgia is the other team that's in there for him so we'll see if Carolina is able to hold on through all of that uh, and land his commitment. Another guy that was on campus, five-star cornerback Jaden Lucas. Uh, Carolina apparently really blew him away on his recruiting visit there. Uh, Steve Wilfong uh, dropped the crystal ball confidence that he had for Clemson. Had him at a seven before the weekend, dropped them down to a one. So at this point, it looks like the thinking from the people over at 24-7 Sports might be that this is a neck-and-neck neck race. So Carolina looks like they made up some great ground here. We'll see. Clemson is still going to host him probably this fall. This is in Clemson's backyard in Malden, South Carolina. So this is going to be tough to go in there and take this guy uh, out of Clemson's backyard. But if Carolina could do this... I think, one, this would be a big statement for the program, but this would be a massive statement for the recruiter that Dre Bly is. And, of course, they still have Dalen Everett, uh, the, another five-star corner that's coming on campus later on in June. We'll see. I would I would say it like this. Look, both of these guys, if they both want to commit to Carolina, they will be – I mean, there will be spots available. They're five-star prospects. They will make room for them. Uh but I, I think that uh, right now, you know, I, I, coming into the weekend, I felt like Everett was the guy that Carolina had the best chance to land. I think Lucas uh, now is one of those guys that you've really got to take a hard look at and, and ask yourself, look, if – Clemson waits until the fall. Can Carolina continue to make up a lot of ground? Sebastian Cheeks, also the guy, another guy that was on campus visiting from the state of Illinois. Uh, it seems like you know Notre Dame had some early momentum with them. A lot of people think that 
uh, as of right now, Notre Dame is probably going to fill up before he ends up making his commitment. So you would then assume that he would be down to Texas and Carolina, although there could be somebody else that enters that race. Carolina and Texas, the two teams that are receiving official visits, he will take that official visit to Texas uh, either this next week or the week after uh, and and. That will be, uh, you know, huge for Carolina because at that point, feels like that will kind of set the table. We'll see how long he's going to hold off after that. But Carolina in a very good spot for uh, a guy that I, I think, you know, they just looked at and says he, you know, he he fits exactly what we need at the linebacker spot. Uh, he's more than likely going to play outside linebacker, probably more of a hybrid guy. Maybe can rush the passer as well if he puts on a little bit of weight. Um, and yeah, that that Texas visit is. June 11th, so that is next week. We'll see. Uh, I think that is going to be a really telling one. He is from Evanston, Illinois as well, so uh, Northwestern right in their backyard. Uh, Still could be some time left in this recruitment, but uh, if Carolina really blew him away, which we're not hearing as much about him as we heard about the other two guys, maybe there's a chance that Carolina could snag his commitment uh, here early in the month of June. Uh, Another guy uh, that we wanted to talk about really quickly in depth before we tell you about a couple other guys that were offered Bo Atkinson, an in-state prospect from Leesville Road High School in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's a four-star, or excuse me, three-star edge for Carolina. He was offered during his visit to campus, an unofficial one, on Friday. Uh, He is the number 19 edge rusher in the class, the number 14 player in the state of North Carolina. This was one of those guys that have felt like this offer was probably going to come at some point. Carolina is getting a little bit of a later start than some of the other in-state teams on this recruitment, but uh, this is a spot where if Carolina is wanting to take on another edge rusher in this class, remember they already have Malachi Hamrick here. Uh, They do you know, have uh, a couple other guys that they are targeting right now in this class as well, so he'll be lumped in uh, with uh, that group. Really, it's it's him and Bryson Jennings are the two guys that you're looking at right now. DJ Wesselak, who's going to take a visit to campus on June 14th uh, and 15th, coming from the middle of the country in uh, Boonville, Missouri, is another guy to keep an eye on, but it feels like Jennings and Atkinson are the guys they're, they're tied closest to. Um, those are two names to keep an eye on. Uh, but again, you know, one of the things that we haven't really talked about a whole lot on this podcast, but that we're going to be talking about going forward, uh, is that this is probably going to be a smaller class for Carolina, probably somewhere in the mid-teens. Um, so it, it is going to be one of those things where, uh, you know, because of everything that went on with the COVID year, all the extra scholarships that are being given out to some of the super seniors, guys are going to still be able to take advantage of that. Uh, is the belief going forward? Uh, you have to prepare for the oper- for, for uh, you know the possibility that you are going to have you know some guys that are going to want to return and that you will want to bring back on your team as super seniors. You also have to prepare for the fact that you will have. Uh, you know, the opportunity to go into the transfer portal and try to land some guys. So you're going to want to keep some of those scholarships open. We'll have to see how Carolina manages that. But with it being in the mid-teens, you have to wonder. I would say both Bryson Jennings and Bo Atkinson will be guys that if Carolina has the room, they would definitely take. Uh, I don't know if they would be guys that they would make extra room for. I think Jennings would probably be a guy more likely to get that, but we'll have to just wait and see on that one. As we mentioned, two other guys to receive offers while on campus. 
One 2023 four-star quarterback, Dylan uh, Lonergren, uh, Lonergan, excuse me, uh, out of Brookwood High School in Snellville, Georgia. He got the offer when he visited uh, on June 1st. Uh, he's a guy that uh, is going to be, you know, another one of those quarterbacks in the 2023 class that I think are going to get a lot of attention from Carolina with them looking as if they're probably not going to land one in the 2022 class. Of course, they offered Connor Harrell, the quarterback out of uh, Thompson High School in Alabaster, Alabama, uh, about a week and a half ago now. But it seems like unless, you know, Carolina really turns up the heat there, uh, they're probably not going to be one of the teams in the thick of that race. It doesn't seem like uh, they're really pushing hard for him at this point. Another guy that Carolina offered, a guy that's kind of taken off a little bit in state in the 2023 class, but we will be worth monitoring over the next couple of months, 2023 cornerback Chris Peel, who comes out of Providence Day High School in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. So that wraps it up for our recruiting outlook there. A lot of stuff we're going to have you covered, of course, on the website. Actually going to do a uh, an edition of the stock report, which we usually do in season. Going to do that to talk about some of the guys from the first week of uh, of the recruiting dead period being lifted. Uh, ta- you know, tell you a little bit about a little bit more about some of those guys uh, and what uh, some of the rumors are around them as uh, they wrapped up their official visits and uh, look ahead to the second week and who is supposed to be on campus uh, this weekend. That'll be over on the website, Heeltop Blog. Dot com. Now it is time for the moment you guys have been waiting for since the start of this podcast. It is time to unveil our top five list of our most underrated Tar Heels since 2007. And again, if you didn't hear the explanation at the start, if you're just jumping in here uh, when we share the live podcast, uh, it is based on the fact that we really started watching this team when you know back in 2007 when Butch Davis came in uh we were what 11 at the time yeah. yes that was right when we became friends uh, that was one of the things that we sort of bonded over, started watching Tario football, started watching Tario basketball. So we figured that, you know, we're in the summer months. This is the time when we can do some of these fun topics. So we're going to do a top 10 list or a top five list, and we're going to have 10 guesses to try to get each other's top five list because we feel like we know each other pretty well here. We've been best friends, as we mentioned, since sixth grade. We've hosted multiple podcasts together. We've been writing on the site together for, what is it? Two three years, years now? Going on three years. There you go. You also wrote a little bit on the side. So uh, there is plenty of stuff uh, or, or plenty of history between us two that should allow us to be able to guess these pretty easily. So uh, I would say what we should do is we'll let one person go first uh, in terms of making their guesses. That person will uh, take a guess if it's right. The person will explain where they have them at on their list, why they put them on the list. If it's wrong, then you just say wrong. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll if some of the guesses that I say. You know, if if it's one that I considered, I'll probably say, yeah, I considered them. Explain a little bit about why I left them off. Uh, that'll be pretty much how it goes. So, who wants to go first? You want to guess first, or you want me to guess your list first? I'll let you guess first. Okay. Um, I'll give you, I guess, some starting points. I have. 
one, two, three guys that are Butch Davis exclusives and two guys that reign from the, believe it or not, the Herbert Lawrence Fedora era um, and only two offensive players as opposed to three defensive players. Okay, I mean, well, when, when you say it that way, I mean, you said two offensive players. Well, you, I mean, how many were you going to have? I mean, you're not going to have... I mean, it's only five, so it's not like a big. Could have had, could have had special teams. <sighs> but Tom I mean, Sheldon was a hell of a punter. I, okay, I will say that I did give Connor Barth was a great field goal kicker. I don't think Connor Barth's underrated though. I think um, Connor Barth is that, is that long snapper from 09, Great form. You don't even know who the. Long yeah, that's why I said the long snapper from 09. There you go. There you go. Um, I mean, look, Joey Mangili, holder of the year, <laughs> fantastic. Um, but yeah, no, I I didn't give any guys not not special teams guys. Special teams, certain aspects of guys' special teams ability was taken into account, but I did not. I, I didn't go with any special teams guys. Tom Sheldon, I I'm going to tell you, I did give him some consideration though because he was a hell of a punter. He did not get the recognition. What did he allow? In his first year with the Tar Heels, what was it? It was like uh, four return yeah. yards the entire season. Or so. I mean, crazy, crazy numbers from him. Um, my first guess is easy here. I know who. I don't know if he's number one. If he's not number one, I have no clue how he's not number one on this list because your love for this guy <laughs> is amazing. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. If you made a top five. Tar Heel list of all time accomplishments, you'd probably just put him top five, even though his accomplishments may not be up there. Charles Brown is number one on your list. He is indeed the there first guy I typed in. Beautiful. And this, it, it stems from a couple things. He was dominant on the video game. That was back like the NCAA 08, 09 days. Okay, we can't use the video game justification that much on here. That was that played into it. He also in the year, I think it was 2008 entering the 2008 season. His layout of said Miami receiver in the year before in the game in Chapel Hill where he literally just decapitated dude, this guy. Dude, he was... I, I'm going to tell you right now, dude. Charles Brown was a bad man. Dude. Yeah. He... I, I mean, he was that a corner. Play, he could lay hits. Man. That play forever etched him into my Carolina football lore. But, I mean, the numbers backed it up as a freshman. Played 12 games, 59 total tackles, five tackles for loss, two interceptions, and a touchdown. Um, his sophomore year kind of tealed off, but that's because people didn't want to throw at him because he was really good as a freshman. He also hurt himself in a game against Maryland that I think hurt. Kinda, yeah, kinda but he played He played in 10 games. Right, right, 2009, right, right. 13 games, 66 total tackles, three interceptions. That was the year that Carolina's secondary was arguably – it was the best secondary in the ACC and it was probably a top three secondary unit in college football. Dude, they were loaded, man. I'm going to tell you, you go back and look. I mean, DeWanta Williams, uh, who I just – I don't think he gets enough respect for how good of a player he was. Uh, he is not on my list, though. Oh, wait, no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. No. He is not on my. He is, he is not on my list. He was under consideration, but I think that he uh, Carolina fans recognize him enough. But he was he was good. 
Uh, dude, Kendrick Bernie was fantastic. Awesome. Had him on the podcast. Great dude. Great, great to talk to him. Tremaine Goddard just had him on the podcast as well. Uh, two really great guys. I mean, you're talking about guys like, I mean, Jordan Hemby would have started just about anywhere. He was a heck of a corner. He just could never get on the field because there were so many other guys that were ahead of him. Um, yeah, no, Charles, I mean, Charles Brown was phenomenal. He, I don't think people realize how good of a corner he really well, was. Well, a lot of he, he gets a lot of flack because he was involved in the scandal. He missed all the 2010 season. My thing about that is that you can take that out on some of those guys, like Marvin Austin, even if you want to take it out on Robert Quinn. I, when I look at the top – when I did the tiers a few years ago, Marvin Austin wasn't on the list. Marvin Austin is erased. I brought his, this is the first time I think I've said Marvin Austin's name in probably five, ten years. I, I don't talk about him. Robert Quinn's a guy that I still will reference because as far as I know, he's never come out and said anything negative about the university. Not that I've ever heard. I, I, I don't uh, I don't know. Charles Brown came back in 2011. Came back. And 50, had a good year. 53 yeah. tackles, two interceptions. I mean, his stats, look, a lot of it stemmed from the fact that he absolutely leveled a guy, and we hate Miami, even as Carolina fans. But the numbers are really good, too. I mean, you, no, he was a heck of a player. And I think he, he, really just, he just gets forgotten about because the secondary, the defense as a whole, when Butch Davis got there, was top-notch. And he was kind of the forgotten man of a really, really good defense. Then he got involved in the scandal, but then came back, was a part of that Everett Withers he's, team. Dude, and he served his time. He he, he spent yeah. the whole season out, came back, and played. And, yeah, did it for an Everett Withers team. I mean, you got to remember, he came back and was one of the leaders of a team that and, and a program that was really in disarray. They had no idea what was – I mean, everything – this was completely new to them. Not to Butch Davis, but to yeah. them. it was. I mean, it was a completely new experience. I mean, like I said, career. Five or 204 tackles, 146 of them solo, 14 tackles for loss, one sack, eight interceptions, um, and one touchdown. So, I mean, just a guy that – and then, you know, as I mentioned, on the video game, I didn't play with the corners, but no one threw at Charles Brown. <laughs> and there was there was a good reason why. See, first of all, here I, I need to, to say this. You had 27 sacks in a season with a strong safety. Did anybody <laughs> throw the ball? <laughs> Was the, I mean, um, okay. <sighs> let me let me take a guess at one of the guys from the Fedora error. Hmm. Man, this is this is tough because there's a couple of there's a couple of guys in there. Uh let's go with Tim Scott. Incorrect. Oh, man. Okay. I thought Tim would be on the versatile, versatile defensive back. Remember, he played he played corners first three years. Then he did, he did, which again, and I, I didn't he wasn't great, but he was solid at safety. They moved him to safety because it worked with Trey Boston. They thought, well, we'll do the same thing and it'll work with Tim Scott. Didn't work out great. When you for Tim. look at all the coaching decisions that Larry Fedora made. It's really remarkable he won 11 games in a single season. Like, in so many ways, because that move at the time didn't make sense. And then when you saw right, it on the right, field, right, right. it continued to not make any further sense. And he just left him there, kind of like the whole two-quarterback system. It was clearly obvious that 
Marquise Williams was a better quarterback at that time than Mitch For Trubisky. The yes, yeah. yes, yes. But we were still we went through five games of let's trot them both out there. Yeah, there but, was a lot of yelling at the TV to stick with one quarter. And then, I mean, so. if Tim Scott had a prayer, he got he he was with the Cowboys for a preseason, and that was it. I mean, the dude, the dude. Yeah, I mean, he bounced right. He, he was, he was just Browns. so. He was just so. I mean, but that's what Vic Coning did. He ruined guys' careers. Yeah, because he was a good player, man. I mean, it, even like you said it, he moved back there. It wasn't natural for him, and he still adjusted and had a pretty good year. I think he finished in the mid seventies with tackles. Like it wasn't. It, it didn't seem that natural to him, and he still found a way to be successful. Uh, let me take another guess. How about another corner from the Larry era? Des Lawrence. Yeah. He's got to be on there. I knew he was on there. That oh, was yes. the guy that – and, I mean, look, I'm going to read you the stats. now. His, Where is he at on the list? I've, he was the last guy I actually penciled in. He was the okay, last five. guy. Okay, okay. Freshman year, not a whole lot, six tackles. Sophomore year, really good year on a really bad defense. Forty six total, forty six solo what, was tackles. That the fourteen defense. Yeah, <laughs> twenty five assists. So seventy one total tackles, three and a half for loss. Got an interception. Two thousand fifteen. Of course, that was the year Carolina went eleven and one. Forty three tackles. Uh, 43 solo tackles, 16 assists, so 59 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, two interceptions, and then his senior year, uh, 28 solo tackles, nine assists for 37. But that 2015 defense, he was probably your best secondary player on the cornerback side. Ooh. And if you go back, if you go back to that Pittsburgh game, which was at the time, remember Carolina played a stretch of games where it was. Must win if you want to win the Coastal. And it started with that Pittsburgh game on a Thursday night. They didn't dare throw at him. And I think that was like, you know, I'd already – I liked him um, because he was a long corner. He made a lot of plays and all that. But that game just really stuck out because that was the first time that I felt like Carolina's defense really impacted a game in a in a, in a big moment under Larry Fedora because before then we were winning games 50-40. to 40. And that was a game where Carolina's offense wasn't in rhythm. The defense had to make plays. And Des Lawrence was a guy was a guy out there making plays. And he was just a guy that, I mean, I don't know, I, I – you know, I write about um, I write about the trench report. I write about the big uglies on the up front and on the offensive defensive lines. I also love good cornerback play, and Des Lawrence kind of fit that category. I, dude, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can agree with you there as the best corner on that team, dude. MJ Stewart was really good. I, I mean, the the thing about him, I, I think Lawrence didn't get thrown at as much. Dude, MJ Stewart got thrown out a lot, and he still always seemed to make plays on the ball. That that, that kid, secondary, that kid, kind of reminds you of what happened with Tony Grimes in that Notre Dame game this last year, where Notre Dame tried to pick on that, and Kirk kept saying true freshman cornerback, and he kept making play after play. That was MJ yeah. Stewart all year long that year because he was he's a smaller corner, but. By God, that dude, I mean, the thing that made him fun to watch was that guy was willing to sacrifice his body. Yeah, he was a heck of a player. I, I, that's one guy that it hurts he wasn't, he, he hasn't panned out as well. That as was the one guy that I out. thought when he went to Tampa Bay, and I think now he was with the Browns last he's, year. Yeah, he's still, he's still with the Browns. Yeah, I, he had some success there. I thought he was going to be a tier one cornerback in the NFL. Dude, they're not good at developing corners, though. I mean, Vernon Hargraves wasn't good there either. We thought he was going to be really good coming out of Florida as a smaller corner they just they have not been great especially developing those nickel guys but um that secondary was underrated man 
And I, I got a guy in there from that secondary. They, they didn't have a choice because the front four wasn't great. And the line, yeah, they the, the, the linebacking the core was hit and miss. It was hit and miss. When Very they were good, they were really good. Like in the game against South Carolina, which we blew in Charlotte because we wouldn't run the football from the one yard line. But when they were bad, i.e., the the loss to give to Baylor in that eventual bowl game. Come on, that could, I mean, you know, uh, they, they were bad. But De, you know, Des Lawrence, another guy that I think. I think if Larry Fedora wasn't the coach, because I think so many Tar Heel fans just hate Larry Fedora for how the last two years ended, right? He probably gets like, oh, he was a really good player for Carolina at the time. So okay, yeah, I feel you. Um, let me go back into the Butch Davis era. You said that you were going to have. TJ Yates on there, but I don't think you put T. No, I I feel like I feel like quarterback was. I mean, you can't put any of them on there. I tossed around Brent Renner. So did I, because of how much he improved from his first year to his senior year. And I mean, like, look, and and but I'll go on the can't. record and say, and and I love slinging Sammy. Sam Howell is a hell of a quarterback. I loved TJ Yates. For and I mean like people when I went to middle school in Andrew Jackson in Kershaw, South Carolina, I was the only Carolina North Carolina fan in that building. I mean people called me TJ Yates for some reason I don't know why, but I mean that, he got a little bit of Yates in the face. I you guess. know Maybe. that was I don't know. so I, I tossed him around because he was my first quarterback, but I, mean, I couldn't still, put him on there. He still holds the program record for passing yards. Now Sam will probably break Samuel, that. I mean Sam will break it, and I but mean. Whole, I mean you got to think that he holds that record, and that was a run-first team. How about this, though? Shown drones got to be. On. Yes. Yeah. Oh man, how about that? Three out of four. All right. All right. Yeah. And let me let me go to his stats. I got pulled up here. I love um, me some shown drones. That was man. a guy wow. that. Um, he got overshadowed a bit, I think, by the mystique behind Ryan Houston. Which Ryan? Look, Ryan Houston was a hell of a player. I, I I'll take I'll take it zone. a step further. If Geo doesn't come in and do what Geo did as a redshirt freshman, and then let's not imagine that world. his his one year in Larry Fedora's offense. I think I think he oh, that really took away from the production Sean Drone gave you. He freshman year didn't play. Uh, but came back because he was a DB. He actually switched from defensive back to running back uh, oh, I did not because know that. there was just so much defensive back talent in Chapel Hill at the time. So his first year at running back, he carried the ball 198 times for 866 yards and three touchdowns. He came back as a junior, and as you mentioned, you had Ryan Houston in that backfield, so a lot of situational offense took him out of the backfield. Only 124 carries, did play three less games, 567 yards and only one touchdown. Came back in 2010, was one of the only guys, he was one of the only guys that wasn't suspended for the opener against LSU. He carried the ball that year 12 times, um, or no, 129 times, 637 yards, 4.9 yards per carry, six touchdowns. So his career numbers aren't all that staggering. 451 attempts, 2,070 yards, a 4.6 average, which is in Carolina's offense at that time, which they were three yards in a cloud of dust, um, but only 10 touchdowns. I think that's what because when you got into the red zone, Ryan Houston came to the ballgame. And there was a big reason why, because he was bigger, stronger, and could maul people. But he was really important because he made the game easier 
for TJ Yates, who was a young quarterback at the time. And he was respected enough to where you couldn't bring that extra guy in the box, which gave Hakeem Nick some one-on-one opportunities on the outside, which he won a lot in that bowl game against West Virginia. Yeah, he did. And so I think that was just another guy. And I think I think there's a lot of good running back talent that Carolina's produced that you just kind of forget about because something happens, whether they got hurt or he didn't didn't have a lengthy pro career, didn't score a lot of touchdowns like Sean Drone, but was a really big part of Carolina's offense and uh, was was a, a you know was a really good player for Carolina at that time. All right, so that is. That is all three. No. No, that is two from the Butch Davis era. Yep. And that is one from the Larry era. What about... Ooh, what about... I see. I don't know. I don't know how much you 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 were a fan of his. What about Romar Morris? No. Out of the backfield for Carolina. I... Sneaky, uh, sneaky his, career. His speed was desirable, but I was a TJ Logan guy in that backfield. Yeah, I don't. Th- I see the thing about what you can't really make the argument that Logan is underrated, though, because I think Carolina fans really appreciate him. Um, I, at least we do. Yeah, I mean, we're the guys that thought oh, his senior year he was better than Elijah Hood. Yes, the way he ran. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, Romar had his his role in the backfield. Uh, really, I think I helped them a lot catching the ball out of the backfield. Was a better receiver than I think the other two guys were. Um, okay, so what? That's five guesses so far. Three right. Um, oh man, oh Jeff Shopmer's. Yeah, I, I knew, I knew Shopmer had to be somewhere on there. Yeah. The was, luscious I, locks that are no more for yeah. Jeff Schottmer. I felt Ugh. like that was going to be I, – I knew you were going to guess Charles Brown because I – I mean, every time – I mean, like the man Char- crush yeah. for Charles Brown is evident. Every time that we talk about him, I get red in the face. Schottmer, for the longest time we thought his name was Scoopmer. Um, that's no, what, that was, that was a, a man that is a legendary friend of ours named Nick Dorman. I mean, told us that was his name. We knew his name was Schottmer. I think Scootmer actually – Actually, fit him a lot better because he scooted around the field and made plenty of plays, especially in that 2015 season. Great story, guy that was no offers coming out of college, preferred walk on from the middle of Texas, winds up in Chapel Hill, and became the the heart and soul of the defense in that 2015 season. I don't think Carolina does what they do without Jeff Schottmer on the field. Um, I know he did transition. He was a graduate assistant with the program. I don't know if he's still part of Mac Brown's I pro- think staff he or was not. There last year, yeah. in some capacity. He I, he comes in and out. I think. I'm but, not really sure. I mean, fan, you know, great career. Um, 154 solo tackles, 125 assists, so 279 tackles for his four years, 19 tackles for loss, only one and a half sacks, four interceptions. I'm trying to remember, was it was it Miami in 15 where he had the pick six that really just cemented the blowout win over the Hurricanes in Chapel Hill? Yes. Yeah. Um, was just a, a – he was, he was the guy that – 
he was easy to root for because, like, if you could relate to anyone on the football team, he was that guy. He was a story. That, yeah. I mean, that was really the thing about it, too, that made him so special. And, I mean, the hair was great. I mean, at the time, we were younger, so Meet the Heels was still a, you know something that we were doing regularly. We got excited going to meeting the guys, getting their autographs. And there was there was the one year, was I think it was in 15, that was like the one year, that the one guy we were like, we got to get his autograph. Yeah, yeah, we had to go to we had to go to them to start out with because the offensive line was way too long because you had Switzer, yeah, and all those guys. So we were like, you know what, we're gonna go to the defensive side, and we were like, that was our guy. Yeah, we were like him. Um, not really, believe it or not, he's a cool guy. I've had him on the podcast before. Shaq Rashad really hadn't taken off. That 15 was his big year. Him and Shotmer in that year, that that tandem. I know that defense wasn't great. They were fun to watch, yeah. though, man. They they were they were good players. Um, you're, you're not going to get my last one. I'm just going to get. I I I'm willing to I'm willing to hold true to you. You're not going to guess the last guy. You I don't think so? I don't think you will, dude. This is where it gets. It, it gets and I'm not stuck. giving you any hints because. Okay. How about a guy? He actually did not make my list. I will tell you this. He did not make my list. Um, but I think that he may have snuck on. To your list on here, Mac Hollins. No, no. There's the last guy you got to guess is a Butch Davis guy. Oh, what am I doing? Yeah, okay. Well, okay. So that still counts. Mac Hollins, uh, probably too recognized. I think Carolina fans give him a lot of respect. I, I went on record saying that if he doesn't get hurt in 2016, I think Carolina goes to back-to-back ACC title games. And you the don't. The reason know- I threw him out there, he's another one walk on. Like he came yeah. out of nowhere. He jokes that he was the the first team long snapper or the backup long snapper at one point before he got his opportunity. Um, and I mean, dude, he's still, I mean, he played, he played a pretty good amount this year for Miami. He had the big catch against Oakland, I believe. I don't remember who they were playing in that game, but he had a huge catch from Ryan Fitzpatrick. The one where Fitzpatrick gets his face mask grabbed late in the year. Uh, just, I mean, one of the big plays for Miami last year. So he's still holding true in the NFL. Yeah. And, and as I said, if he doesn't get hurt in 16, I think Carolina sure. doesn't lose to Duke. They don't lose to NC State. I agree with that. Carolina goes back to the ACC title game. You don't at that point, you, the recruiting doesn't fall off, so you know we're still probably stuck with Larry Fedora right. had Matt Collins not broken his collarbone. So that was a lot of great foreshadowing. That was a injury that best served the program. That's how selfless Matt Collins is, but did not make my list. Okay. Um, you're, you're not, you're not going to guess him. I might have a shot here. What about uh, what about a guy that I considered but I did not put on here? He had a uh, – no, maybe uh, – I don't remember if he had a solid NFL career. He, I was actually just talking to him earlier today. What about E.J. Wilson, no. former defensive end on the group? Uh, guy that kind of got overshadowed by some of the other guys that they had, like some of the big names like, um, like Quentin Copel's. Uh, Kareem Martin in the years after sort of overshined the fact that him and that group that were there early in the Butch Davis era were really, really good. I was actually talking to him earlier about coming on. Okay. Um, Oh. Oh. What about... What about Brandon Tate? No. Productive wide receiver... Probably the best wide receiver in that wide receiving core 
after Hakeem Nix. Because, yes. like, Jeremy Boy was hit and miss. He had his moments. He had the game against LSU, and that was— Dude, that was almost the bulk of his production. That his was about it. Um, I remember leaving that game thinking, Brooks man, Foster was good, too. Yeah. Um, really, that that was another guy uh, that, that I think uh, a lot of people probably don't respect as much for the numbers that he ended up having. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. How did I not think of this one? Zach Pianalto. Son of a bitch. Oh, that's, yes. You, you, you can bleep it if you want. That. Pianalto, and, baby. And that guy. I love, oh, man. That guy, let me read you his stats. Let me read you his stats. Freshman year, 24 catches, 204 yards, no touchdowns. Sophomore year, seven catches, 69 yards. Nice. One touchdown. 2009, nine, 33 catches, 334 yards, 10 touchdowns, or, or, or one touchdown. Final year, 2010, 30, ca- 30 catches, 311 yards, one touchdown. So he never had more than one touchdown. I can't believe that he didn't have more than one, one touchdown. Never more than one touchdown in his that career. That blows my mind. Dude. If I remember correctly, his lone touchdown in 2008 was a road game at UConn, which Carolina won by the score, I believe, of 12 to 10. He scored, he caught the game winning touchdown. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Yep. That was what etched him into my mind right then and there because. It was, for Carolina at the time, a signature win on the road. UConn at the time, under Randy Yetzel, was was competitive in the in the old Big East. Um, I believe that was the year before they actually went to a BCS Bowl, back in the old BCS era. Oh, no. First, no, his first touchdown was an eight-yard pass from Sexton in the game against uh, Georgia Tech, which he actually left due to injury. Then it had to be the 2009 game where he caught the touchdown against... Or may, maybe I have the wrong guy, but I feel like he caught a touchdown at UConn. Yeah, he had the game. Yeah, that okay. So it was in 09. 08 yeah. was the year they they just absolutely destroyed them. They yeah, that was like that 38 was like, to 12. That was like a night game in Keenan. And then the next year they go on the road to Connecticut. He that was, I think the best game of his career. He had five. He had seven catches for 87 yards, and. Uh, the game tying touchdown in the fourth quarter and a, a, a suffered a foot injury. That was another problem for him. Yeah, good he, player, a lot of injury. He gave me a and, and bear with me when I compare him to this guy. He gave me a lot of Jason Witten vibes, meaning that guy caught the big passes when you needed to get the big catch. He was a guy that was what a tight end is supposed to be, quarterback safety valve, and. I mean, he was he was a physical guy. He was at that time blocking tight ends actually existed. Then now all tight ends yeah, they are do now. All though, tight ends are Carolina. now all about flashy and they want to catch catch touchdowns. He was a blocking tight end. He would do the dirty work for you, but he was just a dude that man. First tight end was a part of that whole quartet of you know you had T.J. Yates, you had Sean Drone, you had Zach Pianalto. They they were quality players. And an offense that I believe just held them back. Had they been a more modern offense, I think that that team would have a 
beaten NC State and made a couple ACC title games, but also these dudes wouldn't be underrated players because their stats would have been better than what they were. But I think John Shoup was the offensive coordinator. That guy was still playing 1950 football <laughs> in 2008 when he, Oregon was running no huddle. He, I actually am friends with him on Facebook, and he has a uh, he has a comic strip that he puts up that is called PU Football. No idea what that – I could not tell you anything. I don't read them. I just – I saw one earlier today, and I, I I don't know what to tell you. That tells you all you need to know about John Shoup. Um, okay, so that's so – I, so I got all your guys. All right, now you can go ahead and guess my guys. So uh, let's see here. I have one, two, two – from the Fedora era, three from the Butch Davis. So same, same as you. Um, yeah, and that's, that's you got to give me some boundaries. I gave you offensive, defensive. Oh, so I have. Do I have the same as you? Yes, I have two offensive, three defensive. I think yours is going to be a lot tougher because my my guys that I that I I crush on, I crush on, and I've held true to them. For the last, Dude, you got shrines built to these dudes. You know, like, I, I I'll tell you this, I, dude, I'm con- dude, you you might you might get two, I might get two of them. I'm gonna tell you, I I this one's gonna be tough, dude. So okay, so the boundary before we start, do we have any crossovers of the same guys? Yes. So we have we do how many? At least one. Dude, I think if I tell you that though, you might get them pretty easily. Oh, yeah, all right, I'll tell you that. There are two. There are two crossovers. Two crossover guys. I'm, I'll take Sean Drone first because he was the guy that you when you when we first brought the topic up, he was the first guy you said Sean Drone, and I was like, I did I did not put him on there? I'm gonna be honest with you. He his numbers were 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 good. Um. And I guess I just took a little bit of a different approach. I thought about him. He was one of those guys that was on there, and I I thought about him pretty late into the process. Um, but I couldn't I couldn't put him on there. I couldn't put him on there. I okay, just, I le- I left him off. Then Shotmer's got to be the crossover. Nope, Shotmer isn't a. Cross- I don't have Jeff on there. I I liked Jeff a lot. I'm already down to eight guesses. I got five. I, I, got five I, I thought. I mean, he was a versatile guy. He was a, I mean, he was a much better guy in 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 space than I think people realize. But that was because he came in as a safety, converted to linebacker. Um, I mean, he was a, he he was a good player. But I think the main thing about him was that, you know, when you look at him, like there were just he left a lot of plays on the field at times. He had a lot of missed tackles. Uh, he was he I did mean, still one of one of those guys that I really liked. But I feel like. You know, when you talk about him to a lot of Tario fans, that's that's one of the things that I kind of measured in my mind. He's a guy that Tario fans really respect for what he did, and that's that's what I'm saying. I said those things that I just said about him. He was still he played with a lot of heart. He was really the guy that led that 15 defense, like you said. Him and Shaquille Rashad really rallied a defense that, let's be honest, sucked. They had no that well. They didn't no. They weren't. They didn't suck. They were bend but not break. Well, because they, of Gene Chizik, had right. someone else coached that defense, that defense doesn't stop anybody. See, this, Baylor proved that. This was the problem. They were bend but don't break. But when they broke it in was those like, games against Clemson and Baylor at it, the end of the year, it, it was, was ugly. It was like when the when the dam burst. Okay, I'll quit guessing crossovers. Okay. Tremaine Goddard. 
No. Oh, God, no. No. He is see, way too highly recognized. See, that's a guy that I don't think a lot of him when I think of – because I go Charles Bound, Kendrick Bernie. Oh, no. He's better than both of those um, guys. He's – I'm telling you, he had seven interceptions. Dude, so, like, what do you have? Like, backup, like, third-string tight ends? No, no, no. No. Okay. I If, if you <sighs> – Okay, okay, you don't I, have Sean Drone. So, you don't have Jeff Shot okay, for my so, crossover. So that either leaves me with my man Charles Brown. He's on there. Well, okay. he's on there. So number two is Charles Brown, and it's pretty much for what you said. He came in immediately, was an impact player from the word go. He was a physical guy, and he did it at corner. I mean, you look at the numbers that he had out of a, out of a corner position. I mean, those are unreal, man. He was like just this a stud. dude was awesome. I dude. I love Charles Brown, man. He was so good. And like you said, I think one of the other things about him was that he just had so many other guys around him that were stars. I mean, you're talking about, you know, we talked about DeWanta Williams. We talked about Kendrick Bernie. Denoris Searcy was in that secondary as well. I mean, you had all these other guys that everybody talked about. Everyone forgot about Charles Brown. They remember him for that Miami hit. That's yeah. pretty much what most people remember him for. I'm going to have to go home now and just watch that on replay while he, I fall asleep. But he, dude, I'm telling he was so he was so much better than that one play. Man. Oh, he, he was. was. so good. And he was a guy that, I mean, it, you, you put him in this Tar Heel defense right now, dude. Mac Brown would love him because, I mean, not only, like, he he, he was a good player. <laughs> Z- he, Dre Bly would love that guy. He had the swagger too, man. Charles Brown would let you know that he just made a play on you. And that was I, I loved him. One of the guys that I really loved growing up, and I don't think he gets appreciated enough. All right. So I've got one. Okay. And I've already got four. I only I only got six guesses to get the other four. Okay. And you said I'm only going to get two of them? And the other guys across them. And the other guys so the two guys that I'm going to get are only because they're crossover guys. I see I think you could get the number one guy, but I'm not sure. Is the number one guy a Davis or Fedora guy? He's a he's a Fedora guy. Okay. Offensive or defensive? He's an offensive guy. Did you you didn't put Romar Morris one? No, Romar's not on there. I, I won't count that as a guess either. Because you. I know you liked him a lot when he was on the team when you spoke. Good for him. good player. Uh, you know, had a pretty solid uh, CFL career. You know, he's playing in the spring league right now. Uh, yeah. Another another guy I'm trying to get on the podcast, talk a little bit. All uh, right. I'm trying to wait. I'm, I'm trying to go through the the other the other crossover guy I feel like you should get here. Is pro- is it Des Lawrence? No. You had Zach Pianalto, Pianalto too. Pianalto, baby, number five. Number five. So I had dude, when, when I when I penciled him in, I was like, look, no, there's dude. no way in hell. No, no. He's gonna pencil this because like that was I my... waited. I waited to guess him because I didn't think that you would be along the same thinking as me. But I dude yeah, I, I penciled him third. I, I didn't rank mine in terms of like one through five, like number one. Number, like I just like these were the guys that I just put them in as as they came to me. But like, yeah, yeah, no, he, yeah, he definitely is on there because I mean, you talked about his numbers. I mean, granted, the touchdown number wasn't great, but I mean, this dude almost had a thousand yards receiving. Um, I mean, he did it. You got to remember. Like his senior year, he gets replaced by a guy that eventually goes to the NFL and Ryan Taylor, who had a pretty successful year. That was why he didn't see as many reps late in the year as he did early in the year. Uh, he always had one, one of the guys that, like, you got to be a true Tar Heel to remember this guy. Ed Barham was always in the rear view with him yeah. 
always a guy that he pl- he played a lot too. But you, like you said, he was a blocking tight end. He was physical. See, I think he would thrive nowadays. You say that there aren't a lot of blocking tight ends anymore. But, I mean, look at the last couple years with Carolina. Carl Tucker was almost exclusively a blocking tight end. This year, Garrett Walston was almost exclusively a blocking tight end. So, yeah, I... I uh, I had to put Pianalto on there. I had to put him on there. So you got, what, five guesses left? or four? Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm just trying to stump through. Okay, so five guesses left. Uh, okay, so I'll tell you. Yeah, you got you got two Fedora-era guys, and you've got – both, Are both Fedora guys offensive players, though? No. So no. one of them's a defensive player. One of them's player. a defensive guy. And then you've got one early, early-era Butch Davis guy. Like early, early, like two thousand and seven. Uh he was on the O seven team, but he was real. He really thrived in. I think O was O eight his senior year. Yeah, he really thrived in O eight. That one, I don't. I don't think there's any way you're getting that one. O eight offensive player. No, he's a defense. Defensive guy. player. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because I now I got I got to rework my memory because I was about to go Anthony Elsey. But no, you said defensive no, player. I considered him. Um, but his 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 numbers when you go back and look at him weren't weren't great. All right, top number one. Your number one guy is an offensive guy from the Fedora era. Yeah, you get to if you if you get to three guesses left, I'll give you a hint that will have you, you you'll get it like that on him. Um, gosh knows. I I'm really. I'm really just stumped right now to be brutally honest with you. Dang. Dang. Because um, I'm going through all the great oh, – not, not that many great offensive players. Because, I mean, I know Switzer isn't on there. No, he's too accomplished. Too, um, too accomplished. Mac Hollins too accomplished. Mac Hollins too accomplished. Buck Howard? Number one. Number one. And I'm going to tell you why. If you go and look at his numbers, they will shock you because, I mean, look, he, you know, comes in true freshman – Played in all 13 games, 22 catches, 278 yards, four touchdowns. That that number really shocked me because I don't remember him being that good as a true freshman. And that was originally when he came in as Jonathan and then eventually changed to Bug, and we were told, no, this his, is his actual His name. freshman year took off in that game at NC State, I, I feel like. Yeah, five catches, 72 yards in the win at NC State. Um, I mean, he, he caught – remember – he actually came – his coming out party originally was against South Carolina. He caught two passes for 32 yards in that game. And we were sitting there saying in those ugly-ass jerseys that we still cannot believe they wore for as long as they did. We were saying, who the hell is this kid? Because you had Quinshaw Davis who was jumping onto the scene. As, and you were like, wait a second. Um, Quinshaw had jumped out the year before. I remember – I was at that game, the game at South Carolina. There you go. Yeah, you were. And that's right. I was even like, who the crap are we throwing to? But that was that 84 kid, man. That was the only guy that caught the ball down the field. <laughs> no one, because our offense in that night, that, that game sucked. Yeah. But oh, yeah. he gave you a glimpse of what later became, as you, as in your opinion, the most underrated player since 2007. So he goes into the sophomore year, 42 catches, four, uh, 455 yards, only two touchdowns. But remember, yet again, that NC State game, man, turned it on. Caught four passes, 79 yards. Also had a big game 
on in the game on the road against Clemson. That was a game that Switzer's remembered for, where Carolina put up 35 points, but they lost 50 to 35 because that's right. Deshaun, Deshaun Watson, Watson on one leg through six touchdowns. Just, just no, no. That was his. That was his first start ever. Had, oh, that's right. That had, was the first start. Yeah, yeah. and just absolutely and, <laughs> tore us apart. Under the lights in Death Valley. I actually watched that game with one Oster Richard Denton, dude, and left the and left in the third quarter remember, because we couldn't stop them. Rem, I remember that night, and we were like, I, I came in. They say, man, they got this true freshman quarterback. This guy's good, but I'm like, he's a true freshman. Now remember, this was before this latest wave. Where now, like, if you start a true freshman, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So we were thinking, dude, we got a shot in this game. We could, you know. Vic Koning is our defensive coordinator, but we still got a shot. And he, no, no. He came out and just tore him a new one. But he played well in that game. Go to his junior year. Uh, you, you know, 29 catches, 488 yards, four touchdowns. You know, was good. But again, the focal point of those of, of that offense was Ryan Switzer and mainly Matt Collins. Matt yeah. Collins was a star that year. The year where he really stepped up was his senior year. We'll, of course, always remember the catch to complete the unbelievable comeback in Keenan Stadium against Pittsburgh on my birthday get the sniffles over there on my birthday the greatest birthday present i've ever gotten from you and i mean what what a great game you yelled at a lady who was sleeping now how the hell you were sleeping during that comeback i have no that, idea no that actually happened at the nc state game later that year on black friday that no was, i'm telling you that was the pit that was the wasn't the pit game because you were like wake up you're missing a comeback <laughs> that 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 day i mean first off spending my birthday um in chapel hill in Keenan Stadium was like already like, okay, this is a really great day. And then I, the thing about that game was like, once Carolina started making the comeback, you could feel they're going to come back and win the game. Like you could just yeah. feel it. Yep. And I think I looked at you and said, don't know how, they're going to win. And, that and then ca- I think I told you to shut up because you're going to jinx it. And then and the catch didn't. in the end zone. Remember, they threw a flag on the play, and we all started booing and losing our mind. Well, the previous play, he gets, he pretty much just gets tackled yeah. by some, a guy in Avante Maddox, who I, I just laugh every time I see him on the field <laughs> because uh, I have no idea how him and a guy that played for the Giants last year, Ryan Jones, who stunk. He was awful. They got, I mean, they got torched in that game. Like, Oh, man. And that was Mitchell Trubisky's coming out party. That- well, he was good. We, he, we had senses that he was going to be good. That game was one where you were like, Well, remember, the, this the game-winning drive committed three else. fourth downs. One of them was on a pass to Switzer where Switzer actually fell out of his route and still caught it. Dude, but- that game from Switzer. And, dude, Switzer's ability to just absolutely destroy Pittsburgh every year was just hilarious. And I me. think like, also – He did it every time. That play, isn't Jones's call in the intro? Of his game-winning touchdown? Of Bugs' game-winning touchdown. Carolina back from the dead to I take the lead. I don't remember if that one is still in there. Geo is is the one that's always been in there. If if he's not in there anymore, he was in there. And it'll probably get reworked over time. I think yeah. he may have gotten replaced by Quinshot's game-winner in 15 to seal the Coastal. Um, 
But, you know, I try to change him up. Gio's always going to be in there because that's the best call that Jones Angel has has made. I mean, dude, it's got to be up there with some of the basketball ones, too. That was a wild call. Um, but, yeah, that game, I mean, that that he described it perfectly because that game was pretty much over. But, I mean, look, it, it, that whole season, I mean, 53 catches, 827 yards, and he led the team in receiving touchdowns that year with eight. When... They lost Mac Hollins to injury. I think a lot of us really thought this season is completely over. This team could fall apart. Because, I mean, I don't think people realize they, up until De'Ami Brown took off, they, they didn't did have not one. have a consistent deep threat. It disappeared. It did not exist in the offense. And that was one of the biggest issues. Like, you could say whatever you want about Nathan Elliott. I don't know if he would have been able to get the ball down the field consistently. He never had a consistent deep threat to throw to. Um, but, I mean, he had three straight games that year after Mac Hollins gets injured in the game against Miami, in the game against Virginia, where remember he wore Mac Hollins' number, yeah, and then Georgia Tech, where he had over a hundred yards receiving, he was a guy that when he got his opportunity, he stepped up and made the most. And I tell you, I mean, he you know didn't end up going on to have an NFL career. He's hung on a couple rosters. He's tried to make it as a tight end, but he was a guy that I just don't think people realize how good of a player he was for Carolina. Because, you, you know, when you look at those receiving cores, you're always going to think of Switzer and yeah. Mac Hollins. Yeah. All right. So now we've got we've got Charles Brown. We've got Zach Pianalto. we got Buck Howard. I got so you need three and four. Three is your Fedora-era defensive player. You may just have to go ahead and just unveil that because I can't think of – I mean, names that come to mind – Going into if he would have had a good year, maybe Nor maybe Nor Keithus Othis would have gotten up there. But yeah, I can the year him. he was supposed to take a next step, the dude fell off the heat. He wasn't even in the rotation by the end that of the was, year. Was that his senior year? I believe was that fifteen, and he pretty much just kind of got replaced. I, if, if I'm remembering correctly, is he? Oh, okay. Give me. Is he a defensive lineman? He is not. He's not a defensive lineman, so you don't have like a Kareem Martin or a Tim Jackson. No, Kareem Martin was. Uh, Kareem Martin was way too. Accomplished. Okay, uh, he was um, a good. I mean, I loved Kareem Martin. Way too accomplished. Uh, no, no, fourteen. Unless I'm just missing Norquitas here. Yeah, fourteen was the year where Norquitas was supposed to be a monster and kind of fell off. And then the Butch Davis guy is a offensive player. No, no, no. Butch Davis. Butch Davis is a defensive. Is a defensive player. player. Linebacker. He's a linebacker. I don't think I told you that, so I just I gave you that hint as well. All right. So I got it. Oh. You're not going to get him. I think because you it, it, get if you put Quan Sturdivant or Bruce Carter on there, you're, no, you're done. No, way too a way. So way okay, too yeah. Accomplished. Those were the first. I, I, Zach, Zach Brown also not the guy. I, Zach I, I know there was a third linebacker, but if I went and looked at the roster, that'd be cheating, and then now then the name would pop up. To no, me. it's not Kevin Reddick. No, but it's not I, Kevin. I do remember them being another good linebacker in the core. But you're probably a, thinking of, yeah, that's probably the guy you're thinking. Of. So I'll I'll seed him. Larry Fedora, defensive guy that played either linebacker or or in the secondary. He okay. He's in the defensive backfield. Defensive backfield. So I'm not going to give you anything else. I'll I'll give you his 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 position. 
if you get to one guess. You got three guesses because you you've seated the the Butch Davis guy. Yeah, right? there's there's you're no, not taking a guess at him. There's okay. no taking okay. a guess. At him. I don't think you're gonna get him. Um, I'm I'm going through I'm going through my uh, not MJ Stewart. No, too accomplished. Too accomplished. Oh God. Two two guesses. I I feel like when I feel like I'm blanking on the the name. And once you tell me, I'm gonna be mad at myself for the rest of the night. Oh yeah. Well, see a safety that played in the box. Very good run defender. No, no, no. What? Well, he wasn't a bad run defender, but he—I would not classify him as an in-the-box safety. God, I know. I, 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 I think I can see him, but okay. I can't. So he—he he was a safety. Yeah. So there you go. So you got two guesses. So I'll give you another. I can give you another hand if you get to one. I'm gonna have to look at the roster because I, I think I know who it is, but the name is blank in my head. Give me one more hand, and then I'll I'll see. Okay, he was he. You should get it on this. He was the guy that had the one interception for the Tar Heels in '16, the year they only. Had oh God. <sighs> Dude, I know it, but I don't know it. His name's on the tip of my tongue. <sighs> he played at Scotland High School in Larianburg. I don't think that's gonna help you. Just go ahead and tell me so I can get mad. Dominique Green. God. Dominique Green. And he's another one where when you hear that name, you might say to yourself, really? And didn't, he, didn't he catch an interception off a batted ball in the air? Wasn't the ball tipped in him and he caught it? I feel like it was a batted ball. And I, I do remember this, though. I don't remember if that happened. He did take that lone interception that year, the only interception for a of the whole season, and he did it against the Citadel, took it back for a touchdown. Only interception of the whole year under a Gene Chizik defense that lived the year before All on fitters. Bend, Don't Break. Yeah. It made no sense, at zero sense. Um, but look, he started, and I couldn't believe this, First of all, it was a walk-on. Second of all, he made 38 starts at safety. Wow. I did not think he started that many games. Um, first year as a true freshman, finished sixth on the team with 59 total tackles. I mean, he came out of nowhere. As a walk-on, he started as a freshman, true freshman. Then comes in in 2014, started nine games at safety, 41 total tackles, three fumble recoveries, Junior season, again, part of that defense that was bend but don't break, appeared in all 14 games, started three at safety, tallied 41 total tackles, two pass breakups, and two interceptions. And then his final year, started all 13 games, finished fifth on the team with 67 tackles, five pass breakups, and recorded their only interception, of course. Now, the thing to remember with him is that he also was splitting time with Sam Smiley, who was a veteran ahead of him. Sam Smiley. Overtook him and was, I mean, tremendous. Like, again, I just don't think people realize how good of a player he really was for that defense. Granted, those defenses weren't great. No, they but weren't. But he was a really big part of why they were able to succeed enough to help that team win the games that they did. I mean, got to remember... 15 and 16 is a stat we said a lot when we were backing up old Larry. 19, 19 wins. wins. 19 wins, baby. 19 Which wins. I think was fifth most in college football okay, in a two-year so span. Do you want to take a, any sort of no. guess at the linebacker? Because you still got one guess. No, because it's – no. 
Yeah, I didn't think you were going to get him. How about number 41, second team All-ACC member his senior year, Mr. Mark Paschal? Yeah. Yeah. Came in first two years under John Bunning. 30 total tackles combined, only one tackle for loss. Comes in in 2007 under Butch Davis. Plays in all 12 games. Started four at middle linebacker, including the last two games of the season. And really from there, he kind of took off. He had 53 total tackles that year. Six for a loss and an interception. But 2008 was his big year. In the middle of that Carolina defense, uh, was named the team's defensive MVP, which that says a lot. Those teams were talented. Yeah, 103 total tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, two interceptions. And I think the biggest thing with him is he really sort of set the precedent of what a good linebacker was going to be for that group going forward. Because you got to remember, after him, you've got Bruce Carter, Quan Sturdivant, uh, Zach Brown, Kevin Reddick. I mean, it, yeah. Just a litany of great linebackers that came through there. Mark Paschal had him number four on my list. Uh, I'll tell you one of the guys that I wanted to put on there really bad, and you, there is almost no chance that you would have gotten him. But if you go back and look at his numbers out of the nickel before MJ Stewart takes over there, dude, Malik Simmons was a heck yeah, of a player. Yeah. He, he was a heck of a player. With, with, the, with his enough numbers hands, were good. He was, yeah, he was a really good – He was a good player. He was a productive man. player for Carolina. Very good player. Uh, I also considered Alan Pelk, one of my favorite offensive linemen. He is – I'll tell you this. In my room, I, I still have a poster up to this day of Alan, of Alan Pelk on my wall. He is way up at the top, like right-hand corner of my room. Probably the most random Tar Heel player that you could pick out. But absolutely loved him on the offensive line. Um, and then, uh, let's see, were there, who were some of the other guys uh, that I put on here that I think would be in there? Brooks Foster, who I talked about earlier. You know, he, you know he had over 1,000 yards receiving in Carolina? Wow. Blows my mind. Blows my mind. And uh, also, uh, another guy really came on later on in his career. Cason Collins has to get some love, man. He, he yeah. was a good player as the years went along for him. Was really the the leader of that linebacking core on that 2017 team that was not good. Yeah, no, they weren't. Uh, so that wraps it up for that. Um, really quickly before we get out of here, we're just going to touch on this, uh, and, and we'll you know talk about it for just a second. Julius Peppers, Ken Huff, uh, they are uh, guys on the ballot for 2022 for the College Football Hall of Fame. Um I know Ken Hoff, an extremely productive offensive lineman during the mid to late Bill Dooley era. A really good, uh, you know, probably regarded as one of the best offensive linemen in Carolina history. He's probably right up there with Ron Rusnak, uh, as well as, uh, you know, a, a couple other big time names. Um, but Julius Peppers, man, this is his third year on the ballot. And I'm just not getting how this guy isn't in. The college football thing. I, I just don't understand. I mean, he was about as dominant. Pretty much, I would say, if you look at career accolades, he is probably the most dominant player that Carolina has had besides Dre Block. I, if he plays under Matt Brown, he's in the Hall of Fame already. I think you look at the circumstances of who he played for, 
Carolina wasn't really all that good, but he I mean, they was. They won a Peach Bowl with him. I mean, that that's like the only thing that stands out about the the that that transition. Um, and, but when it comes to that, it shouldn't be about team success. It should be individual success. And he was the most dominant player in college football on the defensive side of the football those last two years before he went off to the NFL. So it's 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 really mind-boggling, but I firmly believe that if he would have played for Mac Brown, had Mac Brown stayed in Chapel Hill and not went to Texas, he's a first ballot college football Hall of Famer. Because how imagine being a first ballot NFL Hall of Famer, which he will be a for he will get in the first time he's available to enter the, the NFL Hall of Fame, but not being a first ballot college football Hall of Famer when he was he is the best defensive player to come through Carolina outside of Lawrence Taylor. Well, that that's see that's the biggest thing for me is that I mean his his numbers are are comparable like they're it, it, to like his NFL numbers are phenomenal. But so are his college numbers. This isn't I mean, even dude, even Lawrence Taylor, like and look, Lawrence Taylor was a great player at Carolina. I mean, we've talked about it. I, I've talked about it on here before, and I've done I've talked about it in the articles, I know for sure. Uh I mean, look, he his senior year, he was a phenomenal pass rusher. He also pretty much before he was became the pass rusher that he was, he played a typical inside linebacker at Carolina. He could do both. He was that good. Uh, but I mean, dude, the numbers that that Julius put up were, were just—I mean, they were just crazy. I mean, he was a—I mean, from the word go, he was a first-team freshman All-American. 2000, first-team All-American, led the country in sacks with 15 in one season. Yeah, like I—I I mean, I, I just—I don't understand. Third in the country with a school record, 24 tackles for loss. Um, you know, in let's see, what what was it? Uh, was a candidate for both the Lombardi Award and the Nagurski Award as a junior, and of course left early to go to the NFL. I mean, you know, he was just he was just phenomenal. I mean, he doesn't hold the school record for sacks. That's held by Greg Ellis, but that's a record where if he stays for his senior year, he, he gets that record. Um. I just I don't understand what more you need to put him in. I mean, look, man, there are some real. I mean, there are some great players throughout the history of college football. But you cannot tell me that if you stack him up against some of the guys that have recently gotten into the college football hall of fame, even a guy that got in last year that was a Toriel, Harris Barton got in. He's deserving. He is not more deserving than, than Julius, Peppers. Julius Peppers. So. We'll, we'll see. I, I mean, I think I'm, you know, we'll, I would be stunned if he doesn't get in this year. This is his third year on the ballot. He is, I mean, widely regarded by many people throughout college football that have been doing it for a long time as one of the best to ever play defensive end, you know, especially in the ACC, but definitely, uh, you know, uh, in, in, you know, even in college football. I think he's going to get in. This year, and, and I'd be stunned if he doesn't. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Boy, that was a fun edition of the podcast. That's yeah, it was. That, uh, you know, I think we can have a lot of fun with going forward. I think there are some 
good topics that we can do with that. I like the guessing aspect. Hope you guys liked it too. Make sure you share uh, your uh, top five underrated players. We want to hear those. Uh, as well, and we might read some of those off in the next edition of the podcast. Uh, we really hope that you guys uh, enjoyed uh, that uh, little top five, and that's something that, as I mentioned, we we will probably keep doing uh, here throughout the summer when we have some of these lulls uh, in terms of you know the news on the you know actual on the field stuff. Uh, you know, recruiting, we you know we, we have you covered with that. We usually save Zach Hubbard for those editions of the podcast. He's going to come on here probably some point soon. Uh, Carolina, I would be very shocked if they come out of the month of June without a commitment. So uh, we'll definitely be having you guys covered on that front here on the podcast. Great editions of the podcast coming up with plenty more guests on the way. There are a bunch of editions of the podcast that are already up for you guys to take a look at. Um, there is actually one going up uh, tonight at 8 o'clock in the night of recording. Uh, that is an interview with... Uh, is that Tremaine? Is that Tremaine? I've got, I got so many that I've been doing over these last couple of days. No, that is not Tremaine Goddard. Or no, that is Tremaine. That's right. Ricky Barden went up the other night. Uh, defensive back from the uh, the late seventies. Uh, he we, we got to talk to him. Uh, that's a great addition to the podcast. Uh, talk to him about his career. Uh, talk to him about the great Steve Streeter, uh, who uh, is one of the more underrated players in Carolina history overall, not just uh, from the group that we picked uh, today. Talk to him a little bit about Lawrence Taylor, who we were just talking about there. So uh, some really great stuff in that one, and a bunch of other guys that have stopped by with us that you guys can go back and check out. Uh, Bill Spann, Pat Crowley, uh, you know, got Kendrick Burney, who we talked about. Tremaine Goddard is going to be on uh, with or is actually uh, going up tonight. There's a couple other guys that haven't stopped by just yet that are scheduled to stop by and plenty more that we're working on as well. So uh, we've got a bunch of guys that we're going to be hoping to get in contact with here and talk about their Tar Heel careers and uh, everything else Tar Heel football uh, going forward throughout the summer. Uh, make sure you guys go over to the website, HeelTopBlog.com. Uh, as we mentioned, there's a bunch of recruiting stuff, and we'll have you covered on the website as well. This is a loaded month for recruiting both on the football and basketball side of things, so make sure you guys are checking all of that out, HeelTopBlog.com. I got you covered football-wise. I've had some big visits over this past week. Got an article that's going to be going up uh, probably either t- uh, tomorrow, uh, if not, I will have to push it back to Wednesday, but I'm hoping I'm not going to have to do that. I'm really hoping to get it up tomorrow, uh, which will be a stock report. We don't usually do those, but we'll do it um, for uh, you know this past weekend where we learned a lot about some of the big-time targets for the Toriels in the 2022 class that were on campus. So uh, we're going to put together excuse me, an article about that. Uh, and then uh, we are also going to have uh, you know, a couple articles going up about some of the stuff that Carolina is doing in the offseason. We're getting closer and closer to the start of the regular season for Tar Heel football, start of fall camp as well. So we'll start to preview that. That'll probably be sometime around early July, believe it or not, which is right around the corner. That'll be when we'll start getting into those in-depth previews. Uh, also, with the podcast, I didn't want to mention this. We're going to do those a little bit different this year. Uh, we've usually just kind of been going 
uh, you know, uh, sides of the ball uh, by sides of the ball. We're going to do it a little bit different this year. Uh, we're going to go a little, little bit more in depth um, in terms of, you know, the talking about some of the guys. We're going to do each position, but it will be shorter editions of the podcast. They're not going to be all that long where we look at those position groups. So keep an eye out for all of that coming up. On the basketball side of things, Will Shaver, he just committed to Carolina last week. Make sure you go back and read his commitment article. Carolina's had a bunch of other guys on campus as well so you definitely want to go back and read those uh, just great stuff that you guys can check out on the website HeelToughBlog.com looking for a baseball writer as well going into next year Carolina just finished up their season this uh, past weekend in Lubbock Texas uh, they got the first win over UCLA but unfortunately dropped the next two so that means they are out great job though by Scott Forbes uh, to pick up the win that he needed to in the ACC tournament to get that team into the NCAA tournament uh, we'll see how they build on it from there we're hoping somebody can join us next year to write that because well frankly we just don't have the time right now because of our jobs that we we have on the side so we would love some help uh, from you on that if you want to write about football recruiting basketball or recruiting on that front as well hit us up as well we would definitely love to add you to the website and let you get uh, your words out there if you're inspired to write uh, you know about this Tar Heel football or basketball team so uh, again it Anywhere you can contact us, uh, you can contact us at the email, HeelToughBlog at gmail.com. You've got uh, my social media, at HTBAnthony on Twitter, Josh's social media, at HTBJosh on Twitter, uh, and we'll get you guys set up with that. Uh, let's see. I got so much stuff that I got to plug whenever we do the end of this uh, Facebook page. That's the other thing I always like to plug here at the end. Make sure you head over to the Facebook page. Uh, check it out. Like and follow it. Heel Tough Blog on Facebook. That's where you can get the articles, the video editions of the podcast, the regular editions of the podcast, and everything that we post on there all in one spot. We do post the same stuff on the Twitter page at Heel Tough Blog on Twitter. But when you click on the video editions of the podcast there, it's just going to take you to the Facebook page. So you might as well like and follow that Facebook page while you're there as well. And again, video editions of the podcast are coming back. You get to see our ugly mugs on camera. That's right. Won't want to miss that as we get closer and closer to the season. Some of those ones that I talked about are going to be on camera. So plenty of exciting stuff coming up for you guys. That wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for co-hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels.